and to worship the Lord. As a pastor and his wife, Karen and I have had the opportunity to counsel a number of young people contemplating marriage. Thanks. Um, sometimes it's a lot of fun. Sometimes not so much. Um, it's been my observation, Karen could share her observation with you, it's been my observation that most men have a healthy fear slash respect, maybe I should say respect, for marriage. And it seems like most women have an overly romanticized um, view of heaven. I've only conducted one wedding in my ministerial career. Uh, my requirements for conducting a wedding are extremely high. They are not complicated. They just are non-negotiable. I will not marry anyone I do not believe is or are true believers. Um, that's my qualification. I just, I just won't do it. Um, I will not marry anyone that I don't believe is born again. Um, many people claim to be Christians, as we know, in the world, and many people aren't what they claim to be. Um, many are merely church members or purely cultural Christians, and they don't really know Christ. They don't really love Christ. They have not really given themselves away to Jesus. And of course, this is the New Testament definition of Christianity. And while I can't see the person's heart, I, I just like to, you know, I like to get to know them. I like to hear their words. I like to watch their life. I like to know that I, I'm involved in officiating or sanctioning a marriage that is between two believers. Christian marriage is a big deal, beloved. It is a big deal. So if I'm not convinced that the man and the woman are are believers, I will not marry them. I mean, you know, you, you can go to the state and get married, right? <laughs> you can find some less discriminating minister who will marry you for 50 bucks. But I have a conviction that I will not marry or put the Christian sanction on a, a, a marriage that I don't believe is between two Christians. Too much is at stake. Too much is at stake in my view. So that is my conviction. You know, I, I hope you know, and I've had many discussions with people about this. Many don't know. Marriage is God's idea. You know this, right? Marriage is God's idea. It came about, as you know, in Genesis 1, Genesis 2. Human civilization is built upon this idea. One man and one woman becoming one flesh. And I'm, I'm grieved that I have to even say this, but in this day and age, I need to say this. It's Adam and Eve in the garden. It's a man and it's a woman. I know I'm an old guy, but I will be honest, I never thought I would see such a day where same-sex marriage would not only be approved, but it would be on par with heterosexual marriage. I never thought ever in my wildest dreams I would ever live to see such a thing. But this is the culture that we live in. I honestly am dumbfounded. I am deeply saddened. And I am grieved by 
this drift in the culture. And I want to say, I am grieved for homosexuals. Because their lifestyle, the state, is putting the stamp of approval on a lifestyle that God calls sin. God calls it sin. So I grieve for them. It makes it all the more difficult for them to see and repent of their sin. And let's be clear, the Bible is crystal clear. Homosexuality is a sin before the Lord. God says through His prophet Isaiah, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. What Jeremiah said of the sin in his day is certainly true in our day. They were not even ashamed. They did not even know how to blush. Beloved, what I want to say to you about this, and I'm going to move on. Don't be intimidated in the world. Speak God's truth in love. Speak God's truth in love. We don't hate homosexuals. Real Christians. Real Christians do not hate homosexuals. We're sinners just like they are. We do not hate them. We love them enough to say, this is God's truth. I know know the media is sending a different message. I know the culture is sending you a different message. But this is what God says. We have to love people enough to share the truth with them. Truth is not relative. God speaks truth. Everything else that contradicts that is a lie from Satan. It is demonic. So, close parentheses. As I was saying, marriage is God's idea. And this is how He talks about it in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone, so I will make him a helper suitable for him. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is the historical foundation of human civilization in every corner of the globe. One man, one woman, procreating and raising their children. And while all cultures everywhere practice heterosexual marriage in some form or another, because it is indeed the echo of God from the garden. It's the echo of God in the heart of man from the garden of Eden. And as I said, while all creatures everywhere practice, cultures everywhere practice marriage, Christian marriage is for Christians. Christian marriage, biblical marriage, is for Christians. It's to be entered into in accordance with God's Word. This is why Christian marriage is sacred to me. This is why I won't marry just anybody. You know, I've had many people say, Hey, Pastor, we just want a nice church wedding. And you know, really, that's what some people want. They just want, the, they just want the event. They just want the experience. Well, I don't do nice church weddings. I only do Christ-centered marriages. I don't do nice church weddings. I can't in good conscience do it. I've had to tell friends, no. 
And it's a hard thing to tell friends no. I don't do church weddings. If Jesus Christ is not the reason, listen to me. If Jesus Christ is not the reason, the purpose, the focus, the energy, the core, and the center of the proposed marriage, I cannot participate in it. Because this is what Christian marriage is. It's all built around Christ. It's about Him more than it's about you. <laughs> I think this is a lost truth. In, uh, in this day and age, if we know our Bibles, we know that marriage is a sacred, shall we say, parable of the beautiful mystery of the union between Jesus Christ and His church. God has invested tremendous importance in human marriage. It is a parable, a picture, an image of Jesus Christ and His church. Jesus is the bridegroom. And we are His bride. It's a big deal with God. We are not to enter into marriage lightly and it is not to be ended without biblical grounds. Beloved. So tonight, God talks to us about a couple of His purposes in marriage. We won't get to, all, we won't get to both of them probably tonight. This is going to be a two-part thing. I, I planned on preaching all the way to verse 7, but I actually couldn't get to verse 7. I only got to verse 2. So, uh, I know there's, a, there's some confusion in the church about this. Not simply this church, but the church at large. And I wanted to give it some special attention. So, We'll be talking about this for the next at least two weeks. But one of God's purposes we're going to see tonight is, if you heard the text read, you heard it. It's evangelism. It's evangelism. It's about the wife's evangelism. So before we get into the text, I want to remind you of the context here. God is still fleshing out 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. That's what we've been talking about for the last 60 days. Um, he continues to tell us what it looks like to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. God has told us through Peter that we are to live excellent alien lives upon the earth so men can see the beauty and sufficiency of Jesus. People are supposed to see that Jesus is real in us. This is what uh, Peter has been saying. So he says, live like a son or daughter of God. This is your job. This is the only reason He's left you on the planet. Yes, God gives us peripheral joys and pleasures, but the main reason you are here is to honor Christ. It's to honor Christ. And to share the Gospel with those that are in your orbit. In chapter 2 and 3 of 1 Peter, God spends 20 verses talking about one essential attribute of the born-again believer. We've been talking about this for about 60 days. Does anybody know what that attribute is? Pardon me? Well, that's good. Humility is good. It's part of the point. What has God been saying to us? Submit. Right? That's what we've been seeing. God says, You're my people. You're an awesome people. You know, you're spiritual warriors. You're co-heirs with my son. You're an awesome people. But the way I want you to live it on the earth is in humility and in submission. Right? It's what we've been seeing. 
Submit to all human earthly authority. What is that? Government. God says submit, Christian. Submit to government. And then what did we learn after that? We are to submit to our earthly masters. I guess in our context, obviously that would be employers or those in authority over us. God says submit. Submit to your earthly masters in all humility, even when you are mistreated. Submit. And who's our example? Remember? We saw it several weeks ago. Who's our example in submission? Anybody remember? Jesus. Jesus is our example. None other than Jesus Christ Himself. Verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps. God has called us to be excellent alien citizens, excellent alien employees, and now God turns to Christian women and He calls them to be excellent alien wives. You're an alien up on the planet. I don't know if I failed to mention that, but we've been making much of the fact that we are aliens. Yes, we're aliens, but we're to be humble on the earth and submit ourselves to all authority, God turns to women, Christian women, and He says, submit to your husbands. Verse 1 and 2. And that's all we're going to get to tonight. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the Word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Yikes. Jim, are you really going to preach that? Yes, I am. <laughs> I am actually going to preach that. You know, I've actually heard one woman call this obscene. Obscene. I am going to preach it. It's one of the, the perils of preaching verse by verse through the Bible. But on the other hand, it's one of the benefits of preaching verse by verse through the Bible. I don't have the opportunity to edit God, which many pulpits nowadays are grossly involved in the editing of God. They only preach what they like to preach. They only preach what's easy for the congregation to hear. So that's why one reason I preach verse by verse, it keeps me disciplined. And real Christians love that. They want to know what God says, not what some church says, or what some council says, or what some group of elders say. What does God say? That's what the Christian wants to know. I know that pretend Christians don't want to hear it so much, but here we go. In preaching verse by verse, we often hit these verses that are utterly and completely countercultural. Amen? They are radically different from the me centered, politically correct cycle babble that emanates from the modern media and also from many pseudo Christian pulpits. What? 21st century wife submit to her husband? You have to be kidding me! Jim, you're going to preach that? Yes, I am. Because it's God's Word. It's God's Word, beloved. It's God's Word. It's what God says. It's what God says. It's outrageous, Jim. It's barbaric. It's antiquated. It's unenlightened. It's fundamentalism. It's Stone Age. Jim, it's what God says. <laughs> you can call it anything you want. It's what God says. 
And that's what we do here. I understand that this does not fall easily upon the modern ear. And I think part of the problem is we listen way too much to the world and not enough to God. We're probably getting bombarded by 25 media messages to one message from God because we spend more time in the media listening to the media than we do listening to what God has to say. And beloved, He is unavoidably clear in this regard. I'm sure you noticed as the text was read earlier, God begins to talk about submission in marriage here in 1 Peter and He points the first six verses at women. And the men only get one verse. So what are we supposed to say about this? Maybe I shouldn't say anything about this. <laughs> Maybe if I, if I like my job, I won't say anything about it. Um, or maybe, you know, maybe we could just let the Word of God speak to us and we could trust the Lord. Oh, maybe He knows best. Maybe He does. Maybe we could trust God. There are two important, important things I want to say about the fact that the women get six verses and the men get one in this particular context. I just want to say two things about it. One, the first century cultural context here. As most of you know, a first century wife was considered by that society as little more than chattel, right? You know the word chattel? It simply means property. She was little more than the property of her husband. It was unthinkable for a woman in that day to change her religion apart from her husband. This could and would create tremendous conflict in the, in, in the family and possible potential embarrassment for the husband, a wife who believed differently than she. In the first century, if the husband became a believer, the wife would simply acquiesce. This was her job. Acquiesce. And she would simply acquiesce. There would be little to, to no trouble in the marriage. But if the shoe is on the other foot, if the woman is converted, it could be tremendous, tremendous conflict in the family. And Peter says, this is how you should behave, first century woman. Oh, guess what? Nothing's changed. <laughs> I mean, I know our society is different um, with respect to how women are seen and respected, uh, both in the culture at large and in, in families, and this is as it should be. But as far as, as far as submission, nothing has changed. It's the same for the 21st century uh, wife just as it was for the first century wife. I think this is in part what Peter is Addressing Now, I mentioned the historical context. And I want you to hear me say this, so I'm going to say it twice. I don't want anyone to misunderstand me. The truth principles regarding submission apply to both the first century and the 21st century wife. Okay? The truth principles regarding submission apply to both the first century and 21st century wife. Capito? That has not changed. The culture has changed. The family dynamic has changed. But God's Word with respect to the wife's submission to her husband has not changed. 
More importantly, secondly, the second point that we need to be aware of here is that while God does call all Christians, including husbands and wives, to mutual submission, Ephesians 5.21, mutual submission, the Christian wife is called to submit and defer to her husband in a unique way that the man is not called to reciprocate. Many times when people calling themselves Christians or evangelicals, when they want to dispense with the submission of the wife, they go to Ephesians 5.21 and they talk about mutual submission. Of course there's mutual submission. But there's something unique in the marriage. The man is head. The woman is in submission. It's a picture of Jesus Christ and the church. Listen, your marriage is supposed to be a picture of Christ and the church. Your marriage is supposed to image forth who He is and what He's done and what it means to be in relationship with Him. There's a big deal here with God. He's written a parable for all of us to see and participate in. He is head of the church. And the husband is the head of the wife. God has ordained that the Christian husband take primary responsibility, listen, for Christ-like servant leadership of the family. Now listen, I'm going to hammer the men next week, okay? So, yeah. (laughs) Bill's leaving. Okay. Listen, I'm I'm going to talk to men next week about their responsibility to lovingly lead their family as Christ has led the church. Amen? But it's your time, ladies. It's your time. This week. The Bible says, Wives, be submissive to your husbands even if uh, they are disobedient to the Word. Obviously an unbeliever. Obviously an unbeliever. God is crystal clear about this and I'll give you several different biblical references here in a moment. But I think these are the two reasons, principal reasons that women get the six verses and men get one in this particular context. Many in what is called Christendom today have sought to reinterpret what the Bible says here. But the most natural and clear understanding of the Word of God is what God says clearly and repeatedly. You heard me read 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 1 and 2. Let me go over to Ephesians 5, 22-24. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. As the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. Colossians 3.18 Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Titus 2.3-5 and 5, Older women encourage the young women too, among many other things be subject to their own husbands that the Word of God may not be dishonored. So here, back in our text here in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, what is the Holy Spirit saying when He says in the same way? Well, that's the reason I wanted to go back and visit the context of, of, of what we've been saying for the last 60 days. In the same way, what? It's in the same way that God has commanded the Christian citizen to submit to uh, earthly authority. It's the same way that God has commanded the Christian employee to submit to his earthly masters. In the same way, 
Women, Christian women, submit to your husbands in Christian marriage. This is what the Lord is saying. In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands. While the first two verses of 1 Peter chapter 3 clearly speak to marriage, there's, a, there's another paramount concern here. I mentioned it to you earlier. You remember what it was? Evangelism. This is God's recipe. For a, a believing wife who's married to an unbeliever, this is the recipe. Submit. Submit to your unbelieving husband. Even as the text says, even if they are disobedient to the Word, submit. And did you see what it says? That they might be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. Say, Jim, my, my husband's an unbeliever. Should I preach to him? No. Should I put gospel tracts under his pillow? No. Should I tape Bible verses to the TV remote? No. Should I have the pastor over for dinner three times a week? No. What does the Bible say? Submit. Submit. And let your husband see, as, as uh, Eugene Peterson says in the message, your holy beauty... Your holy beauty. One of the preeminent points here, I think, is implied. It's not mentioned, but it's very clearly implied. Believing wife, do not leave your unbelieving husband. Believing wife, do not leave your unbelieving husband. Husband. Now, parenthetically, here's another, uh, yeah, here's another sidebar comment I, I feel like I need to make. A believer, I know you know this. I hope you know this. If you don't know this, you need to know this. So now you're going to know this. <laughs> believers are to only marry other believers. You are not to marry an unbeliever. You are not to do that. This is the Word of God. As Paul told the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 7.39, if we do marry, we marry in the Lord. We marry a believer. You know 2 Corinthians 6.14, God says, do not be bound together with unbelievers. I know you're in love and you're in lust. But if this person is not a believer, God says, no, you are not to marry this person. Listen, I've been in ministry for 30 years. I've seen it. For a believer to be married to an unbeliever can be quite hellish, ultimately. God is warning us. God is counseling us. God is commanding us. Do not marry an unbeliever. God says this because He loves us. He says it because... We need to believe it. We need to heed it. And we need to obey it. John MacArthur is right. The only thing worse than wanting to be married is wanting not to be married. 
Close parentheses. But what often happens in the real world is that two unbelievers will get married. Or sometimes a believer will make a mistake thinking that someone is a believer, but they're not. But two people get two unbelievers get married, one of them gets converted. One of them becomes a Christian, right? What do you do? You leave them. No, you don't. Why? Because of evangelism. You're to evangelize your spouse. Whether you are a man, a believing man married to an unbelieving woman or vice versa. God talks clearly about this in 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 17. God commands that if a believer is married to an unbeliever, the unbeliever and the unbeliever consents to live with the believer, the believer is to remain with the unbeliever. Go read the text. If the unbeliever leaves, God says, let them go. Let them go if they leave. Let them go. We don't fight to hang on to that. Let them go. This is the command of God. As Paul writes, for the believer is not under bondage in such cases. The marriage bond is broken if the unbeliever leaves. This is clearly what the Lord is saying here. And you've got to love what Paul says. Paul basically backs up what Peter's saying here. Um, over there in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, How do you know, O wife, whether you will save your unbelieving husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your unbelieving wife? This is about evangelism. Loving Christ, obeying Christ in a probably a hard marriage because you can't really share the most intimate thing in your heart. You can't share Christ with them. You can't... You can't pray with them. You can't weep tears over how beautiful Christ is together. You can't worship together in the deepest way because they, they don't believe, they don't understand, they can't even conceive what you're talking about. They think you've gone off the deep end. But what is the unbelieving spouse supposed to do? God says, Love. Love your spouse. Wives, submit to your own husbands even if any of them are disobedient to the Word. This brings us back to 1 Peter. Beloved, if you're married to an unbeliever, and of course we're talking to women in this text, <clears throat> I know it can be difficult. But God has called you to this. This is your ministry. Love your husband. Submit to him. So let me dissect the text, verses 1 and 2, just real quick, so we make sure we clearly understand what's been said. In the same way, in the same way that we submit to human authority, that being government, in the same way that we submit to our earthly masters, that being our employees, in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. This is a universal command for all Christian wives, whether your husband is a believer or not. So that even if any of them are disobedient to the Word, meaning if they are an unbeliever, 
A believing wife should submit to the unbelieving husband. Why? Someone tell me real quick. Why? It's about evangelism. It's about loving your husband, women. It's about loving your husband and sharing the Gospel with them. How? With your beautiful, holy life. No Gospel tracks under the pillow. No Bible verses on the remote. With your beautiful, holy life. I love that. I love that. I think it's wise too because there's so much... Uh, manufactured controversy about this topic in what is called the modern church. I think it's important that we, we look at the Greek here. We understand what this Greek word says. Translated submissive. Just don't want there to be any misunderstanding. The Greek word is hupateso, meaning, if you just look at your Greek lexicon, tell me if you have any confusion with these words. It means to be subject to. It means to submit oneself to. It means to be in subjection to. It means to put in subjection under. It means to subordinate. It means to obey. It means to submit to the, ones in a, the, the one who's in authority. It means a voluntary attitude of giving in and cooperating. This is the unmistakably clear meaning of the word. Anybody have any confusion? Go, don't trust me. Go get your own Greek lexicon and look it up for yourself. God is clear. <laughs> I don't care what the media says. I don't care what the culture says. God is clear, as He always is. God is clear. I'm going to close with... Well, I've got a few more comments, but I'm going to begin to close um, with a quote from Piper. Uh, John Piper, famous preacher in the States. He says, Submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership. It's the disposition to follow her husband's authority and the inclination to yield to him. This, in the eyes of God, is a beautiful, holy life for a woman to lead. Beloved, this is the Word of God. This is a beautiful, holy life for His daughter to live on the earth. So, I want to end by just making a few comments here about marital submission. I want to clarify what the Bible's talking about. I want us to understand what biblical submission is not. This is what biblical submission is not in the Bible. So listen carefully. I've got five points. Submission does not mean putting the husband in the place of Christ. I think... This is self-evident to any converted woman. Any true Christian woman will understand this, that she, her ultimate allegiance is to Jesus Christ. Two, submission does not mean giving up independent thought. This is evident from the text. It is the wife who has come to Christ, not the husband. The wife has weighed the claims of Christ and come to faith. So I want you to understand... Submission is not giving up independent thought. Submission does not mean a wife should give up efforts to influence her husband. <laughs> Although there's a way to do it and there's a way not to do it. And Karen can tell you how. Um, because she does it perfectly. <laughs> she can kind of like get me to do anything. You know, 
You know, it's really true, right? A woman can get her man to do just about anything if she comes at it the right way. And it's true. And it's true. But the wife doesn't give up efforts to influence her husband. In fact, we see it in the text. She's supposed to bring him to Christ through her holy, beautiful life, right? So obviously, that's not part of what it means. Submission does not mean that that a wife give in to every demand of her husband. She is commanded by God to submit to her husband unless, of course, her husband tells her to do something contrary to the Word of God. She is not to follow him into sin. At some point, she has to respectfully say, I can't go there. I can't go there. Because of Jesus, I can't go there. I respect you. You're my husband. I love you. I can't go there. Because who my God is, I can't. It's evangelism, beloved. It's powerful evangelism. Submission does not mean that the woman is inferior or has lesser intellect or competence. Anyone who reads the Bible understands this. It's the skeptics in the media and in the culture at large who simply don't understand it. And they take great offense that a woman should be called to submit to her husband. But the clear teaching of Scripture is that men and women are equal before God. This is not a matter of inferiority or inequality. It is a matter of the differing roles a sovereign and infinitely wise God has ordained. Now, the true Christian either believes he's God and bows the knee, or they don't. And that's the definition of a non-believer. <laughs> the definition of a non-believer is, I will not bow my knee to this. I find this offensive. I don't like this. I'll not do this. You've just discovered who you are. You've just discovered who you're not. You don't belong to Jesus. You, you can't treat Him like that. You can say, Lord, this is hard. And He knows it's hard. He knows it's hard. But God calls us to obey. Evangelical theologian Wayne Grudem said it beautifully over in America. He says, Submission in role, listen, submission in role and equality in dignity and importance stand side by side for the woman in the Bible. Just because your role is different in the marriage or your role is different in the church doesn't make you less of a human being. And I know that that's the argument that the world loves to make. But both of these things stand side by side together in Scripture. I know that the modern culture rejects God's views on this issue. That's always man's prerogative. They can reject the Word of God and certainly most do reject God in His Word. But Christian woman, I want to say to you, be careful what you do with this text. It's going to be hard to go out there and explain to your unbelieving friends that because God has told you to submit to your husband, you will submit to your husband in all respect. In all respects. Apart from following Him into sin. It's a hard call. It is a hard call. But don't we... How many times do we say it? God's always doing a billion things and they're all invisible to us. Amen? 
You say, it's hard, Lord. And God says, I'm doing a billion things and you can't begin to understand what I'm doing. All we have to do is obey the Lord. That's really what it comes down to. You call yourself a Christian, obey the Lord. Don't spar with Him. Don't debate with Him. Don't reject what He says. Obey God. That's the biblical definition of a Christian. So, some time ago, Karen was counseling with a, with a, a woman on a completely different matter. And the woman said, well, I guess I will just have to disagree with God on that. How does that sit with you? <laughs> that is not only completely arrogant, it's utterly stupid. You, you wait a minute, you with your two and a half pounds of gray matter are going to debate with infinite mind? Really? Beloved, the true believer does not have this option to disagree with God. That is not our option. So I pray that you would allow the Word of God to color your views on marriage and not allow the culture to do it. I'll close with a Piper quote, John Piper. And we're going to pick this up next week. Piper says, the roles of a husband and a wife in marriage are not arbitrarily assigned and they are not reversible. God has not arbitrarily assigned them and they are not reversible. He's right. They are not reversible without obscuring God's purpose for marriage. The roles of husband and wife are rooted in the distinctive roles of Christ and His church. In marriage, God means to say something about His Son and to say something about His church by the way husbands and wives relate to each other. I want to say to you, Christian, it's not ultimately about you. I say it all the time. Even in your marriage, it is not ultimately about you. It's about what God wants to do through you in the marriage. And it's about how He wants your marriage to image forth the beauty of Christ and the beauty of the body of Christ. This should be on our mind. This should be on our mind, beloved. Not what the culture screams at us every day. For all these reasons and more, this is why marriage is holy to me. It's holy and sacred. So I want you to remember, beloved, Christian marriage is infinitely more than a nice church wedding <laughs> and a pretty dress and the I do's and the happily ever after. Christian marriage is infinitely more than that. God has endowed it with divine importance. So, the women tonight, God has spoken to you. And you have to decide, am I going to be a Christian woman? Or am I just going to be a pretender? And next week, men, and if you don't come, I'm coming to your house. <laughs> We're going to talk about what it means to be a leader. Oh, how did Christ lead? He loved her so much. He loved her so much that He laid His life down for her. That's what it means. And for those of you who are married to unbelievers, 
Obey the Lord. Obey the Lord. It's His method of evangelism for your unbelieving spouse. We'll talk more about it next week. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for your word. It's really the only place we hear the truth. And I know the truth can be difficult for some. But Father, I pray that we would be willing to submit to you and your word and your wisdom. And Father, I pray for the women. There are probably some here who are married to unbelievers. And there are probably some here married to believers who are difficult. But Lord, I pray for them. Give them your strength. Give them your wisdom. Give them your discernment. that they may be who You've called them to be and they may do what You've called them to do. Father, I pray that we would learn to trust in the, the simple sufficiency of Your Word and that as we do, we find the beauty in it. We find the power in it. We actually discover this is really how life needs to be lived. Because this is the way that life works. It's how you designed it. It's how you planned it. Thank you, Father, for the truth. Thank you, Lord. We give all praise and glory and honor to the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.